This episode of Futurismo is brought to you by EY's automotive and transportation sector, the global leader in delivering innovative, pragmatic solutions to enhance mobility. To learn more about EY's commitment to building a better working world, please visit www.ey.com automotive. There's this BMW ad that I've been thinking about lately. It first aired during the 2014 Winter Olympic Games to promote the carmaker's BMW i8 hybrid supercar. Trying to predict the future is a discouraging and hazardous occupation. That's a recording of the futurist Arthur C. Clarke used in the ad. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. We see images of a brightly lit city against a night sky, blue tint subtly showing that this place doesn't belong to our current time. So, if what I tell you appears absolutely unbelievable, have we any chance of visualizing the future as it really will happen? And then the I-8, gradually revealed with its swinging gullwing doors. The spot's title? Hello, future. This is Futurismo, automotive news podcast about the drive towards tomorrow. I'm your host, Shiraz Ahmed, and this season, we're looking at how the predicted revolution in the auto industry, green, self-driving, shared vehicles, how, well, how it'll actually happen. For these next two episodes, we're going to focus on the message the industry needs to send to the public to get us, and our checkbooks, on board with its vision. Which is why the BMW ad intrigued me so much. Because in positioning this brand new green vehicle, it wasn't selling fuel economy or speed or safety or any of the things we usually identify with car commercials. No, it was pitching us the promise of tomorrow itself. And that works for a lot of people. For the early adopters, it totally works. Who doesn't it work for? The skeptics. This is Hannah Lutz, one of our retail reporters. I invited Hannah into chat about what it takes to convince a wary public of the merits of new technology. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you about the car. So it doesn't reassure you that this is normal or safe. It just kind of pulls you in because it's the future. Even if it doesn't give you like the hard details, I feel like people, it would pull the people who want the details, it would pull them in just because of the visuals in like the futuristic tone and they'd look it up. What is an early adopter? Like in the most basic sense, who, who is that? Who is the type of person that wants to, to buy a vehicle or a new piece of technology before anybody else? Well, those people are very into the details, so um, someone who um, is very interested in the latest technology and who has heard about this for a long time and maybe studied it more than the average person, um, I would think those would be the early adopters. The divide between early adopters and skeptics is an interesting one, because even if you don't think about it, like probably, probably most people fall into the skeptics category, right? EV technology, I don't know, like self-driving, is this tested? Have they really, have they really thoroughly pre- tested this out over the 50 years? So, so how do you, how do you move from the guinea pigs to like, to the regular people who buy cars and just want to take their kids to school or go to the grocery store or whatever? 
Well, I talked with um, Scott Corwin. He's the managing director and future mobility leader at Deloitte. And he said it's it's mostly about having your own experiences. So um, he thinks that there's this big group of people who maybe need a little more persuading than the early adopters, and they will become more comfortable by seeing their neighbors use this technology. Here's Corwin talking more about it. I think, look, you're not going to someone who's a hardened skeptic. You're not going to you know, convert them, probably the right answer is to look at those populations and segments of people that are willing to give it a try and let them sort of do social reference and, you know, tell their neighbors about it. Selling the future may work for early adopters, but convincing regular drivers to plop down thousands of dollars for something they're not sure of is riskier. So what's a car maker to do? Luckily, we don't have to wait for self-driving cars to hit the road for an answer. Coming up, we'll go to a place where EVs are as cool as Camaros, and we'll see how one automaker is trying its hardest to run away from the future. That's after the break. Automotive news publisher Jason Stein sat down with EY Global Automotive and Transportation leader Randy Miller to discuss how the industry is remodeling for mobility. You're participating in a couple of different uh, initiatives, some specific examples where mobility is um, directly linked. Maybe you can share some of those. Sure, we're investing heavily um, in this space. And and really, we have uh, three uh, primary offerings that we're spending uh, time on. Number one is uh, the design, build, and launch of the business models themselves to help our clients figure out what they should do uh, and then help them actually operate uh, those models. What we've also seen is a huge talent gap as part of the launch of those models. And and so what we're building uh, is a uh, talent marketplace uh, that's going to be proprietary to to EY that will allow our clients to package up uh, the key competencies that they need, uh, whether it's entrepreneurial experience, specific startup experience, or specific mobility experience, and be able to rapidly acquire that uh, uh, talent uh, and uh, actually purchase it in, in creative ways. Third way we're, we're also participating is around helping to build uh, some of the sharing models. So we're putting together some fractional ownership um, models uh, using blockchain technology, Bitcoin technology uh, to, to really take advantage uh, of the capabilities of those technical platforms uh, to, to really have some creative uh, fractional ownership sharing to allow um, consumers to participate, uh, whether they're an investor or a user or an operator fairly creative and we're seeing some interesting movement on that. You're back with Futurismo and we are going to take a trip to the beautiful forested landscape of the Pacific Northwest. It takes me 10 minutes to get to downtown Seattle from here. This is Dean Anderson. I've been in the auto business since uh, 1975. He's a Toyota and Chevrolet car dealer in Burien, Washington, a small affluent town in an area that has seen dramatic changes over the past half century. It's a very diverse community. We have multi-million dollar homes to uh, uh, immigrant areas. 
know, it, it changes, but it seems to always stay about the same. Here in Burien, Anderson says environmentally friendly cars get cachet. He told me a story about when the Toyota Prius debuted in the early 2000s, and at the same time, the Seattle Seahawks, the region's passion-inducing NFL franchise, had made the playoffs. At Toyota, we had a video. We had a 45-minute video on all the technology of the Prius. And during one of the Seahawk playoff games, a customer came in and wanted to watch the video. And instead of watching the playoff game, we watched the Prius video. That's the way it is around here. Anderson saw the community around the Toyota Prius transform over the years. At first, it was predictably the early movers that knew the specs of the tech better than his salesmen did. They formed Prius clubs and told their friends who came in exclusively for the Prius. And it was a very tight, clicky, you know, you either wanted a Prius or you, you, were, you didn't want it. Now, Anderson is part of the next wave of the greening of America's fleet, electric vehicles that can go the distance. Just a few weeks before I spoke with him, his Chevy dealership received its first shipment of 26 brand new Chevrolet Bolts, an all-electric $36,000 compact crossover with a 238-mile range. The Bolt is only being sold in a handful of states right now, with plans to roll it out to more as the year goes on. The moment they arrived, they were already sold. The people that are coming in to buy the Bolt only want a Bolt. They don't want to look at a Volt. They don't want to look at a, a Cruise. They don't want to look at a Malibu. They're, they're interested in buying the Bolt. This sounds remarkable, but there's a catch. All the Bolts were pre-sold to early adopters. But if you know the conversation in the auto industry, the Bolt and its competitor, the Tesla Model 3, hold much more promise than simply being cars rich people own to show off their green cred. Well, I mean, for starters, the the Bolt won the North American Car of the Year and was the first all-electric vehicle to do so. This is Katie Burke, our Silicon Valley reporter. And so I, we're starting to enter a period where automakers are taking electric vehicles seriously and trying to um, to appeal to the average consumer as opposed to um, environmental enthusiasts. And what makes the Bolt and the Model 3, if it meets kind of the expected specifications, um, they're, they're kind of the first stab at a, a practical, affordable, all-electric vehicle. Being one of the first car makers to bring EVs to the mass market is a lot of pressure for people tasked with selling the Bolt. Everyone um, has expected Bolt EV to hit the ground running and sell 250,000 units because, by gosh, everybody wants you know an electric vehicle that has that cost and range. I would say the one not unexpected thing, but the thing where we have to manage very carefully here is um, what people say they will do and what people do can be do two different things. This is Steve Majoris, a marketing director for Chevrolet who's working to craft the Bolt's message to car buyers. The first thing I try to do is to put people's minds at ease that this is not a disruptor. This is not something that uh, you have to worry about. It's not every day you hear a business executive positioning their product as not disruptive. 
But that's key to Chevy's whole marketing strategy for the Bolt. With its eyes set squarely on the mainstream car buyer, the car maker wants people to think the Chevy Bolt is simply normal. Bolt EV is not just a great electric car, it's a great vehicle. And I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do in our marketing efforts is to kind of demystify this, oh my gosh, electric vehicles are science projects. I've got to totally disrupt the way and the manner in which I, I live my life every day. Chevy even uses a term for the consumers it's aiming for, green collar. They may value the environmentally friendly aspects of the Bolt, but that's not the main motivator in putting down a deposit. So we called them green because money was just as much of a important factor when it came to how much fuel can I save? Does this cut down on commute time for me? Is this vehicle going to be an enabler for me financially as well as my driving habits? These green collar buyers are different not only in their priorities, but how Chevy dealers are speaking to them as well. When you start to go too deep too fast and try to explain all the technology of the extended range electric you know, vehicle and what kicks on here and there's a single gen blah 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 and then people just go words, words. There's a difference that we're getting more mature in our understanding of who we need to tell what and how we tell it to them and where we engage in that dialogue. I asked Majoris how he would pitch a friend or family member on the Bolt. He gets them to describe their lives and then conveniently fits the Bolt right into it. How many miles a day do you drive? And you know, where do you park? And you know, have you have you been in a parking structure in Ann Arbor? Hey, you know, I know you. You know, you and I go to Ann Arbor for dinner. Look at that parking structure. There's a charger right there. It just gives those slow, steady reminders that living electric is not nearly as complicated as you might fear or imagine. There are some really obvious differences between the BMW i8 and the Chevy Bolt. The Bolt you might use to run to the grocery store or pick up your kid from school. The i8 would be better suited running down the side of a mountain at 120 miles per hour, or your kid might eventually use it to impress their first date. But the two approaches we talked about today, the revolutionary future versus a regular everyday car, offer an interesting case study in the advancement of technology. Majoris made one comment when talking about the challenge Chevy faces in exceeding consumer expectation that really struck me, because as a concern for car makers, it was pretty standard. You know, I just saw on Green Car Reports today that you know this, the survey came out that 40% of people uh, are, are, are planned to buy an EV. Well, but the market's like 1%, and so there are still very pragmatic things as far as distribution and charging questions and cost and availability and 10,000 other things. In other words, if car makers want a new whiz-bang technology to succeed among the general car buying public, they can't just sell them on technology itself. Ultimately, the experience needs to meet the needs and concerns of the buyer. Here's Scott Corwin from Deloitte again, talking about why self-driving cars will need to win over the skeptics. This is a country um, where consumer choice is a, you know, a value that, that we collectively have. And, um, you know, there are 250 million vehicles on the road in the United States today. They're not going to disappear immediately. And I think that the bottom line is that ultimately 
people are going to need to have experience, direct experience, with self-driving vehicles. And that means getting in the car itself, which some have already sworn off. Here's one of the challenges Corwin sees for self-driving cars. Consistently, the story that everyone sort of, the, the, the for instance, that everyone puts up, well, what about the car that has the choice of sadly running over the little girl on the side or the 80-year-old grandfather? You know, how does it decide which of those things to do? And people tend to sort of embellish the risk and ponder that risk. Next time, we're going to explore the negative reputation haunting self-driving cars, see where history can be our guide, and talk about how to overcome it. Today's episode of Futurismo was produced by me, Shiraz Ahmed, and by Hannah Lutz. It was edited by Sharon Silkardi and James B. Treese. Additional reporting by Nick Bunkley. Futurismo is a podcast by Automotive News, the leading publication in covering the auto industry. Check us out online at www.autonews.com or follow us on Twitter at automotive underscore news. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, which means we'll see you in the future. future.